The reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 1. And David's going to come and uh, read that and bring God's word to us. Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that we are free to come and gather as your church. Father, we pray that you bless this time that we have together as we open your word. We want to hear from you, Father. We do not want to hear from a man standing here. Let us hear from you this morning, Father. I pray that you bless this time, that you stir us up afresh this morning, Father, as we listen to your gospel and you. Father, we love you and we want to respond in the way that you would have us do so, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Today, we will be in Galatians chapter 1. And the title for my sermon this morning is No Other Gospel. As you turn to our text, I just want to give you a brief explanation as to why we are looking at this particular passage this morning. As a church, for the last few months, we have been speaking a lot about evangelism. Essentially, this is all about how are we going to go out and communicate this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those here in Eastbourne. The gospel message is so essential to the Christian faith, and it should be at the very core end, the unmovable foundation of every single church across this world. Without a gospel, a church is no more than a community get-together each week. You would think that such a truth is obvious and that it should be so that you could walk into any church anywhere in the world and hear this message of our amazing salvation. That Christ paid the price for guilty sinners and it is by the grace of God that we can be exclusively saved through faith in Christ. As we will see in our text this morning, the gospel has been under attack from the very beginning. There has been a number of counterfeit gospels in many various forms for as long as there has been the genuine gospel. To have put your faith in another gospel, a distorted gospel, a gospel that does not save, is like jumping out of a plane, thinking that you have a parachute in your backpack but actually, you've only got a cheese and pickle sandwich and a mouldy one at that. Just much worse. Our key text today is verse 6 and 7 from Galatians 1. But I want us to read this passage in context. So let's read from verse 1. That's Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 through to verse 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you 
and peace from our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and that you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, So now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. So, What's the key thrust of what's happening here? The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a group of churches that he helped plant to defend the gospel of salvation by faith alone. And why is he doing this? Because a group of Judaizing false teachers had sneaked into the church in this region and they began to teach a false gospel. It was a crafty distortion by adding circumcision into the process of salvation. Not an outworking of salvation, like what we would believe baptism to be, but an integral part as to the cause of salvation. They were teaching no circumcision, no salvation. And someone may think, well, that's no big deal, but this is very serious. When something is added to the gospel message of grace, it is no longer about Christ, but instead it becomes ruined by turning its focus onto man's own ability in being able to save himself. You may recall that Tony mentioned last week, last Sunday, that it was the anniversary of when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg church door 504 years ago in the year 1517, last Sunday. In doing so, at this time, Luther, the Augustinian monk, he was raising a dispute against something which he saw as a serious flaw in the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. And in turn, he was seeking a scholarly debate. The scope of that debate was around the sale of indulgences, a disgraceful practice which was designed to nullify the consequence of sin by paying money. This bold stand ignited the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And just to explain how we got to that point, for a year or so prior to this happening, a German preacher named Johann Tetzel was tasked to sell indulgences on behalf of the Roman Catholic Church to raise money in order to rebuild St. Peter's in Rome, which he did with remarkable success. In fact, Tetzel was so successful at implementing this racket that a saying was widely and famously linked to him. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Many of you will know that Luther, for years prior to this monumental event, exhausted himself 
trying to get right with God through his own efforts. Martin Luther was fully signed up to the Salvation by Works Brigade. Just like the false teachers in our text this morning, it was all about faith plus something else. Some sort of work that the person must do to satisfy God or to win God's favour. As R.C. Sproul used to say, we do believe in a works-based gospel. It's just not the work of us. It's all about and is exclusively only about the work of Christ on the cross. Now, in Luther's life up until this point where the Reformation was born, he believed in a classic case of gospel distortion. They were taught that they were saved by grace, but first they must earn that grace. It's just moving the pieces around another works-based gospel. And Luther, in wanting to ensure that he had done enough to warrant that worthiness, he pursued every extreme. Luther was told that if his food was basic enough, he would win merit. So he survived on bread and water. That's, of course, when he wasn't fasting, something in which his friends were sure would kill him. He punished himself in sleep deprivation. He chose to wear uncomfortable clothing and he even put things in his shoes and strangled his waist, banking on that this too would merit some worthiness with God. The poisonous fruit of a man-centred false gospel. He had no peace and no assurance of salvation. He was said to be so burdened with his sin that he would go to confession many times per day and at one point he was actually told do not come back unless you've got something significant to confess three and a half years later on the 18th of april in 1521 luther was ordered before the diet of worms and he was told to recant his writings including the 95 theses which he refused to do resulting in luther being declared an outlaw they banned his literature and they said that anyone can kill him without legal consequence and you know what a big part of the literature and literature and teaching that they wanted luther to do away with was the gospel that the only way to be saved is by grace through faith in christ sola fide justification by faith alone this important protest is where we as protestant christians get our name from today apart from this being a fascinating study, there is a weighty foundational belief in play here linked to our text this morning. Firstly, for believers here today listening to this, the fact that there was another gospel, such a blatant distortion, a works-based system, should be outrageous and offensive to us. If somebody came into this church or started to teach those that we love a false gospel, we should be as outraged and urgent to correct as Paul in his letter is here to the Galatians. The idea of indulgences and the thought of being able to replace Christ with money is outrageous. Any works-based system with no Christ and no cross is absolute blasphemy. And a partial cross where substitutionary atonement and the blood of Christ is only actually powerful enough to pay for some sin is an absolute offence. And as we take to the streets of 
Eastbourne and we engage with people in evangelism, these are the worldviews that we are going to come up against all the time. People don't want to hear about the cross. To those that are lost, it is foolishness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. But we must preach Christ crucified because he is the power and the wisdom of God. So with this in mind, let's look at how urgently Paul wanted to deal with this in Galatians verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So here we have Paul writing to a group of churches in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. Not that far from where he was born in Tarsus, and it's a region in which he had close links with. Paul helped plant these churches, and I'm sure as he writes this epistle, he must picture many of those people in his mind. These churches will have familiar names that we would recognise if we've spent time in the book of Acts. Iconium, Antioch, Lystra, Derby, Acts 13 and 14. As part of the process of planting these churches, Paul would have spent time with the elders and deacons teaching them sound theology, establishing the church on strong biblical foundations, having the gospel at its core. And he would have left that mission confident, optimistic and keen to hear updates on how the church develops. We know this because we can see how utterly surprised Paul is in his opening address to the Galatians. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and that you are turning to another gospel. Did you catch that? He is astonished. This church that has been familiar and robust in gospel truths has allowed false teachers to come in amongst them and to present another gospel. But these false teachers didn't stop there. Not only were they attacking the gospel that Paul taught, but they wanted Paul to lose all credibility as an apostle. He's not a real apostle. He wasn't with Jesus and the rest of the apostles. So Paul, in his introduction, he wastes no time in addressing the attack on him head on. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from they're dead. That's just brilliant. Straight to the point. Paul comes out fighting and he addresses something that was probably most likely the elephant in the room. And then in verse 17 and 18, he makes it clear that he didn't make this all up or inherit secondhand theology from word of mouth as per the accusation. He tells them that he was uniquely prepared for ministry by direct revelation, having spent three years in Arabia after his conversion on the road to Damascus, before going on to spend 15 days with Simon Peter to affirm all that he knew was of the Lord. If you're familiar with Paul's epistles, you may be a little bit surprised by his tone. He often takes time, doesn't he, to encourage and to warmly greet his recipients, but you can see that Paul urgently wants to get straight to the point which shows the importance of this gospel distortion. The accusation that 
The gospel message that Paul had taught, that of salvation by grace through faith, was wrong. And they accused Paul of teaching a form of easy believism or antinomianism. In verse 10, Paul defends this. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would never be a servant of Christ. It's an accusation levelled at Paul that he had watered down the gospel to make it more palatable. Something in which is completely untrue. However, it is something that we can learn from ourselves today. Will we, will we fall into the trap of seeking to please man when it's our time to teach the gospel? Is there a temptation for us today to cherry pick the easier bits of the gospel that we think people would embrace to make it sound less offensive? Shall we forget the bits where we talk about sin, repentance, judgment, the holiness of God and the cross? We must not do that. The power of the gospel is in its message. Paul gives a stern warning for those that distort the gospel. Chapter 1 verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. It's actually beyond belief, isn't it, that anyone would even want to interfere with what is the most perfect gift, the most perfect free gift, God's perfect grace, which cannot be earned. It cannot be bought. It's poured out on sinners when we go to our saviour with childlike faith, open-handed, knowing that we in ourselves are spiritually bankrupt and have nothing to offer him. <coughs> Excuse me. As we cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, for he is a good God, forgiving, abounding in steadfast love. And yet, here come these Judaizers, false teachers, that don't want any of that. In their pride, they must contribute to their own salvation. So when Paul was safely out of the way, these Judaizers sneaked into these churches and began to do what false teachers do. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. Verse 6 again. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to another gospel. And this morning, this is the first piece of application for us. It's for us to be on guard. The recipients of this letter were believers. They were Christians. They knew the gospel. They were taught it by the Apostle Paul. They were in Christ, yet they deserted that truth and were sucked in by a false gospel. So if it was possible for them back then, having been taught by the Apostle Paul, is it possible that we can be deceived today? Yes. Yes, it is. And we have to be on guard because it can be so subtle. We have to test everything against the word of God. As we listen to sermons online or even here in person, we should have our Bible in our hand, weighing up what you are hearing against God's word. It's so important for us to be students of this amazing book, spending time in it every day, forever learning, 
growing in our faith and seeking the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us and to protect us from being misled. I also believe that the Bible teaches us that we should be serious about discipleship. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul encourages Timothy in exactly this. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, what does that look like for us as a church at South Street? How healthy would it be for us to have everyone here who is a Christian in a discipleship relationship with someone else? Helping someone less experienced in the faith than you, studying God's words together, marinating in truth, encouraging one another in the faith, praying for one another, looking out for one another. Because if the Lord chooses to bless our efforts in evangelism and we start to have lots of new people show up, I know one thing for sure. If we do not disciple those that the Lord has made us stewards of, then the world most certainly will. We have to be a passionate voice, holding the line with the same urgency that Paul has in his letter here. For volume of the evil in a world that largely has turned away from God seems to be getting louder and louder every single week. And as Christians, we have to fight against that. On a practical note, I passionately want to help facilitate this. In my role as an evangelist here at South Street, I would love to speak with any of you after the service or over a cup of tea in the week to discuss how the Lord can use you in evangelism and discipleship. Are you willing to put a couple of hours aside each week to read the Bible with another Christian or to come out and speak with the people of Eastbourne? Are you willing to post invitations to our Christmas carol service through people's doors? Do you have time to put stickers on the backs of the tracts and the magazines that we hand out? Will you be praying for this work? There is a role for everybody here this morning. In the new year, a few weeks away, will you be willing to come and support the events that we'll be putting on, including Christianity Explored and Bible classes or helping us with hospitality as we put on events? If so, please, it will be an absolute joy to talk to you after the service. And if you are a visitor here this morning, and maybe this is your first time, or if you are watching online, I want you to know one thing. That this church is passionate about your spiritual well-being. We are desperate for you to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, and for you to be born again. We want to help you grow in your understanding, your faith and your love for the Lord. If this is you, please speak to me or a member of the leadership team after. Or if you're online, please email the church and we would love to connect with you and help you do just that. This is important work. We are to be sober-minded. We are to be watchful. 
We have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he would like nothing more than to have people in South Street believe in another gospel. Not that there is another one. How do you spot a fake £20 note? By knowing what a real one looks like. How do we spot a false teacher or a false gospel? By knowing the real thing. By studying the word of God. By becoming a student of this book is the best armour that we can have. And that takes me to our second application point this morning. We must remember that we never outgrow the gospel. We never graduate away from our utter dependency on Christ. It does not matter how clever you become or how far in sanctification you are. Christ is and always will be everything. And this is Paul's point in chapter 5 of his epistle. Verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to then keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So what does that mean? His message here is that if you can gravitate away from a dependency on Christ for our salvation and instead move on to some kind of work, then make sure that you do not stop just with circumcision. If on the day of judgment you have the audacity to point towards some kind of good work to show why you are justified, then he's saying, don't just stop with circumcision. You have to keep the whole law. And you have to be perfect like our heavenly father is perfect. And let's all be honest for one second. That is something that our sinful hearts is completely incapable of maintaining, even for 60 seconds. I read a quote from Alistair Begg this week. Jesus shows us that the law is not a ladder that we climb to reach his acceptance, but it's a mirror revealing our true spiritual condition friends brothers and sisters we have a wonderful gospel message let it be on our lips at all times that god sent his son who came to this broken world and he lived a perfect life and then willingly gave his own life on a cross to pay the price for the sin of those that put their faith in him as Lord and Saviour. And why? So that on the day of judgment, we will not be found guilty for the sinful lives that we have lived. And yet instead, Christ substitutes his perfect life He imputes his righteousness to us and in turn he has paid the due penalty for our sin on the cross so that those in Christ on that day will be found innocent and they will be welcomed in to an eternity with him. Christ is the only way.
The gospel is the truth of salvation. May we, by God's grace, be willing to get busy living out the Great Commission and telling all of this great hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your glorious gospel. That by your grace you have provided a way in which sinners can be saved. That your son came to earth and having lived a perfect life, willingly gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross. For you not to have designed it that we have to then somehow try and earn our salvation, but instead provide it as a free gift by grace through faith in your son is a picture of just how utterly incredible you are. Father, we pray for your blessing on our evangelistic efforts. Father, encourage us to be bold and clear in how we present the gospel for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.